everyone. It is the Internet of Things show, and I am your host, Stacey Hickenbotham. And this is your co-host, Kevin Toffel. It is CES time, and while I am pounding the show floor here in Vegas, our buddy Kevin is... At home for the first time in 10 years during CES week. He has <laughs> earned his break, but he did confess to me that he misses the, the hustle, the bustle, the fun of hanging out with me. I do. I do. We always have such a good time at CES. Last year we hung out and it was a fun time. On the plus side, you probably have better weather because it's like 11 freaking degrees where I am in Pennsylvania right now. You know what? It is raining here and to this this sad little Texan, it is cold. So, hmm. But 11 degrees, no, no, I'm totally taking the, the 60 degrees and rain. I'm good. I'm good. So I've technically, because of the weird time constraints of podcast recording and editing process, you know, we're going to do a little time travel, going to play a little, little fun with embargoes here, but (laughs) I have only seen like day one and actually day only day one and a half of CES, Mm -hmm. but I've seen a lot. I feel, I feel good about what I've seen. So we're going to start off the show with everybody's favorite platform, the only true Internet of Things platform in Kevin's in my view, which is <laughs> the Amazon Echo. She who shall not be named is playing a starring role at this year's show. Everyone is integrating with she who shall not be named. So the Echo. Kevin, what have you seen so far? Well, I've seen a bunch. A lot of people are, quote unquote, planning to do integrations. It's going to take them some time. But um, one of the biggest that I'm intrigued about is actually Ford. Ford is working on Amazon Echo integration, which you're like, well, why would they do that with their sync platform in the car? What does that have to do with that cylinder that's sitting in my in my house? It's kind of interesting. It's a two-way connection. And here's how it kind of works. You will be able to control your home smart home devices that you would normally with your Echo from your car. So let's say you're five miles from home and you're like, oh, you know what? It's getting dark out. I don't want to come into a dark home. I'm just going to tell my Echo through the car, turn on my lights. Obviously, you have to have that set up in advance, but that's kind of one of the core things that people do with the Amazon Echo right now. So that's kind of cool. You can modify your temperatures and so on directly from the car through voice navigation. But it works the other way around too. If you're sitting around at home and you're like, oh, I wonder if I need gas in my Ford vehicle, you can ask the Echo, what's the range on my car right now? And it will tell you how many miles you have to go before you run out of gas. If you've got remote car starting in your car as well, you can remotely start the car with your Echo. It's a cool two-way sync to me. It's not one that was obvious immediately to me. That sounds really cool. So I actually tested something like this for, okay, I'm just going to say it, for my Tesla. It was a software program. (laughs) There she goes with the Tesla. (laughs) I know. So it was a software program called Eve, E-V-E, and it's called Eve for the Tesla, and it worked through the website on the car. And it was an integration with the Wink Hub. Mm -hmm. And I thought, yeah, okay, there it was. I thought it was actually pretty cool, except because of the way the Tesla updates, it took forever to do anything with my smart home. So I'm actually kind of jealous because now I kind of want to have Tesla do Mm. an integration with Amazon. Do you hear that, Elon? Please. Or I want the Eve guys to make... Well, it's, it's a Tesla issue. I want this to be a lot faster because I actually found it super convenient when it worked on time because I would literally just drive away and my garage door from the Chamberlain would just close 
mm-hmm. because it was like, hey, Stacy's car is driving off. I mean, I know it's this is voice activated, but I would totally talk to my car. I do talk to my car. So I love it. And I love it that it's in a Ford. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you guys, if you have an Echo, totally and a Ford with the Ford Sync. With the sinking car. Yep. Yep. And, and I should mention that they have not provided a timeline for this. Ford has not. And only because you mentioned Wink, they said they are also working on a similar integration with Wink. So even if you don't have an Echo, but you have a Wink, you're going to be able to do some cool things. Oh my God. If you have the Wink, when they integrate this, go out, get the garage door because mm. not using, using your voice to control mm-hmm. your garage door or just using your car to control your garage door without like having to press buttons. Mm-hmm. It's kind of game changing. I'll be yep. honest. Okay. So that's one. Let's There's go. More? There's more because again, superstar, she who shall not be named total superstar at CES. They're Vivint and alarm.com both announced Alexa. Oh, you said it. I said it. I'm so <laughs> sorry. You guys. <laughs> Okay, both announced integrations with She Who Shall Not Be Named, and Alarm.com did it through a skill, and so did Vivint. And it's worth pointing out, you guys, we haven't talked about like skills skills yet for the Mm -hmm. show, and we should, because right now Amazon, through its you know straight up connected home kind of in the settings where you go to discover new devices, only really supports lights for the smart home. So you can say things like switch on this, turn on that. So what a lot of companies are doing to give you more kind of freedom to do cool things like so-and-so tell my house to go to sleep, they're using skills. And what you do to enable a skill is you just go in settings and you go to skills and you enable like all kinds of stuff. And they have all kinds, like when I told you guys about playing bingo, that's a skill. They have like a seven minute workout you can enable, which I've done. And it's kind of chill because she is not a great coach. She's just like, do jumping jacks. Yay. Um, (laughs) But that's okay. Um, So you can enable like the alarm.com skill. And then you have a kind of a code sentence that you say to enable it. And then boom, you're in action. And so through these things, people are actually enabling all these really in-depth kind of smart home code words. So Mm -hmm. the challenge is you have to have the code words and remember exactly the thing to say, which can be hard, especially as you're going to bed or you're groggy and you're waking up in the morning. But the benefit is like with Vivint, you can actually close your locks. You can turn off your thermostats. You can, you know, do all kinds of fun stuff with the alarm.com one. You can, pretty much only control your, I think it's your lights and a couple other things. Cause they were actually concerned about the security part about letting you control your locks with your voice. I also heard, this is the gossip at CES mm-hmm. that Amazon later this year is going to be coming out with some deeper, cooler smart home kind of platform stuff at the actual platform level. So not right. just letting you control your lights, what those will be. I'm not a hundred percent sure yet. Stay yes. tuned. So if I'm understanding what skills are, they, you know, you've got your native features that Amazon is baking into the Echo um, that can work with other cloud services and such. But the skills seem to be third party. If Amazon's not doing it natively, you can still add things. And perfect one is AccuWeather has is a skill. You know, if you enable it, you can say, 
Echo, I won't say her name, Echo, ask AccuWeather what time the sun will rise. And because of it, it will parse out the, that phrase and use the AccuWeather skill that AccuWeather has created and return the information. So, you know, it's interesting that we're seeing so many integrations here. And I think it speaks to what we've been talking about before with us. It's just a wide open platform. That's the beauty of the Echo. It is. And you have the option of remembering your complicated phraseology. And, and some of it, mm-hmm. it's not really complicated, but it's specific. It, though. It's specific. And right. the cool thing is you have the option of enabling the skill. So if you don't want the, there is a farting skill. So if you don't want the farting skill, you will be forever free to use the word fart around she who shall not be <laughs> named without ever having the danger of hearing wonderful farting sounds. Yeah. I can't believe that's the top skill in my list right now, but Me it's either. not enabled. It's yeah. we did enable it for a little bit and then we quickly didn't enable it. Yeah. Disenabled it? It's actually not very good. I've got to be honest. We <laughs> were shocked. not impressed with the farce that <laughs> resulted. So, you know, just so you guys know. Also, yeah. why is that the top one? Are they alphabetized? I think they're alphabetized and it's it's it starts with a number. Okay. So the, they, they way cheated to game on the system. <clears throat> okay. So other things that are getting Amazon Echo commands that we saw. I saw a radio. This is actually, it's called Tribi. Um, it's by a company called Inoxia. And it is a kitchen radio. And you could actually, it's actually the one of the first devices using the A's voice services platform. Mm-hmm. So it's built in to the device that you can talk to it. And it uses the voice services platform, Mm -hmm. you could ask it to play music, you can ask it to do anything, and it talks to the cloud in that voice. So it's very cool. It's designed to sit on your kitchen fridge and just be like this cool radio. And I'm trying to remember when it goes on sale, because that would be useful for you. It's the Tribi by Invoxia. This this is what happens when you gradually are going senile. It's a connected speaker for the kitchen, and it is $199, and it has a little message board, too, that you can write on. Hmm. Um, It comes in blue, red, and green. I wonder how many products this year will actually integrate the Echo Voice services, because it's kind of like having Echoes all over the place at some point, you know, and and it gives you that whole consistent user experience. I can't wait for it to be in my vacuum cleaner. I want a vacuum cleaner that I can talk to and tell it to go do things like vacuum. Really, that's all I wanted to tell it to do. (laughs) I'm a simple woman. Um, Okay, so other the final integration that we should talk about is one that we're a little unclear on, but is intriguing. Mm. It is Uma. Uma. Uma's still around. This is this is mm-hmm. a company that like got funded back in like 2009. It had it was one of Ashton Kutcher's first tech investments. Okay, so you know it's a winner. I'm just let, let us not be snarky. <laughs> um, so Uma is a, a voice phone company. It came out is like back in the early days of VoIP, and hey, let's give it a hand for still being around. Now it's a cloud calling company. It's a phone and a little. It's basically a hub. And you can program people's phone numbers in and you can tell it, hey, call mom. And now you can use the Echo and say, hey, call mom or ask. It's another skill. Mm -hmm. Hey, so-and-so, ask Uma to call mom. And lo and behold, that happens. What we don't know. Where does it happen is the question. (laughs) Yes. We don't know if 
What I know is the Echo cannot or could not, in prior, unless it has changed, it could not act as a speaker, like a Bluetooth speaker a, over a your phone. A hands-free phone calling speaker, right. Right. It could act as a Bluetooth speaker for your music, but it could right. not act as a hands-free speaker for your phone. I don't know if that's changed. I don't know if Uma has done something weird using the skills or if this just like basically then takes your phone and like calls your mom. Yeah, that's that's the thing. If it just does that, if it just you know, saves you from dialing, I'm like, "Eh, okay." But if it actually taps into the microphone and the speaker of the Amazon Echo hardware and lets you complete the call hands-free right by speaking to the device, then I'm I'm interested. Yeah, because that changes to the function of the device, which is kind of neat. Yeah, exactly. So if anyone has an UMA and an Echo and wants to enable the skill and let us know, info Just call us. at no, you're going to email <laughs> us, info at iotpodcast.com and let us know. Call me maybe. Yeah, no, I'm going to start singing. Okay, so that was our first segment on really cool things that have happened with the Amazon Echo at CES so far. Now, let's talk about radios. Yay! Because, I love it, I'm a, I'm a chip nerd, and we have got a lot of radio news, starting with Hello Halo. Hmm, Hello Halo. See, I like the news here from the Wi-Fi Alliance about this new 802.11ah, or ah, as I like to call it. Halo is the friendly name for 802.11ah. You're not too keen on this, and I want to hear why, but let me just explain what it is. The Wi-Fi Alliance says that by 2018, they'll be certifying products that use this standard. It's mainly meant for Internet of Things devices because it uses low power and will not transmit data very fast, but that's okay with you know the small bits of data that devices in the house actually or in, in the uh, enterprise actually uh transmit. It's going to use the 900 megahertz unlicensed spectrum band, and that gives it better range than current Wi-Fi solutions. I think it sounds like a win, but before the show, you're like, I'm not sold on that, and you didn't tell me why. So why? All right. Mostly because I have more questions than answers here. So (laughs) Wi-Fi Alliance has talked about the 900 megahertz spectrum. What you guys need to know about that is it is really awesome spectrum. It is currently used for a lot of things because it is so awesome. So it's microwaves, baby monitors, garage door openers. It's really crowded. So really crowded spectrum, a lot of opportunity for interference. Mm -hmm. But it also is great because it goes through walls, which means you can stick stuff in your basement. You're going to get an awesome signal. That's why they're really pumped about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But in other countries... Like in parts of Asia, in Europe, actually, it's also part of like the ISM band that is used for cellular. Yes. So they're kind of like, well, is this unified for the rest of the world or is this US only? So there's some questions about how that spectrum band is going to be used for like all over the world. Whereas currently the Wi-Fi bands that we have now are worldwide. Mm -hmm. Your Wi-Fi works everywhere. So the Wi-Fi Alliance doesn't have a great answer yet for that. So that's question number one, where we're like, uh. and because it's unlicensed spectrum, they really can't control it. So that's that's an issue. It is. Um, how big of an issue? We will see. We will see. Two. Last year, when I was talking to the chip makers about AH, they were really skeptical about the power draw, and I asked the Wi-Fi Alliance, hmm. "I'm like, hey, 
they're kind of positioning this to be kind of like a competitor to Bluetooth, not necessarily mm-hmm. Bluetooth low energy, but they were talking about using it in wearables. And that's a really big deal because Wi-Fi sucks power. I mean, it's a great, don't get me wrong, but you know, there's always trade-offs when you're engineering something like this, right? Mm-hmm. So because the Alliance didn't give me the power draw, they just, they didn't have it. They were like, nope, don't know. Mm-hmm. I am really curious if in the years since I've last talked to these guys, and that's that's what I'm out to find out when I'm talking to guys today, is have they fixed that problem? I mean, a year is a long time when you're engineering, so maybe they have. But when I last talked to people about AH, they were like, Stacy, it is better, but it is not Bluetooth. Right. So better not Bluetooth. You know, hmm. better is good. But it's not something you could put in a wearable or a sensor that, you know, you really want to be battery powered. That's another question. So those are my big questions about this. I'm not saying that that's going to kill this at all, but mm-hmm. it does change. Like, it feels very markety at this point, which, you know, the Wi-Fi Alliance is a marketing organization and they have to get into the Internet of Things. If they're doing this and positioning this as like a technology that you can stick on things that are like your washing machine that's down in your basement, then great. This is great. You, I mean, a washing machine's plugged in. You definitely do want your connected washing machine in your basement to be able to talk to stuff for mm-hmm. reasons we'll talk about later in the show. But if you're really going to try to compete with Bluetooth or Zigbee or Thread, no. So the devil's in the details. Always. And I don't even care about like the data rates they're talking about are up to 18 megabits per second, which I think mm-hmm. is great. Yeah. Um, and at the small end, it's like what, 156 kilobits per second, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Let me see. So that's a big range. So I'm also kind of like, Ooh. yeah, well, it's like, I think it's up to four channels, depends on how much data per channel and so on. But it does. It's one megahertz to four megahertz, I believe. There you go. So, all right. So there we have it. Wi Fi Halo. Very exciting. Also, guys, it is pronounced Halo according to the Alliance, just in case you're like, hello. <laughs> so there we go. Exciting. Oh, we also will be seeing Halo in devices in 2016. We probably won't see an official certification until 2018. That's how the Wi-Fi Alliance works. So, you know, that's not a surprise to anybody. But No, and, and it won't be surprising to see some Halo-ready products in 2017. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah. So there we have it. Next up, Zigbee and Thread get married. Hmm. Not really. Uh, But this is Vegas. They could totally do it. They could. What happened is back in April, Zigbee is another mesh networking protocol. They're in light bulbs. Your Hue light bulbs, a lot of your connected light bulbs that are out there are Zigbee certified. Um, And a lot of your sensors are. It's a low power mesh networking standard, just so you guys know what it is. And back in April, they announced that they were going to work with the upcoming thread wireless standard to kind of see if they could get together because underneath at the radio level, Zigbee and thread are actually using the same IEEE radio protocol. It's 802.15.4. That's for you IEEE nerds out there who are like, oh my God. (laughs) But for everybody else, just think they have the same basic radio. But frequency is different than the same radio, same radio, different, different entirely. (laughs) Stop, Stacey, you're getting confusing. Okay, so they've got the same radio, but they've got different software on top of it, different protocols. 
What they said they would do, though, is they would try to like see how they could make it easier for down the line the things to work together. Because everybody was kind of like, oh, crap, another radio protocol? This is terrible. We've already got ZigBee, Z-Wave, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi. Ah, our homes are a mess. So what they announced at CES is that the upcoming ZigBee 3.0 standard and thread would basically have the same. Okay, this is complicated. (laughs) They would not be interoperable. But the device manufacturers, through a hub, the devices would share the same kind of communication in profiles. So if you were building a device that worked on Thread and you were building a device that worked on Zigbee, they wouldn't actually be able to talk directly to each other. But if you had a hub, a light bulb that said it was a light bulb in Zigbee and a light bulb that said it was a light bulb in Thread would say they were a light bulb in the same way so they could right. actually talk to each other. Exactly. Or through a hub. They could talk to each other through a hub. Yeah, they would both look like light bulbs to that hub. They'll start a certification program later this year, I believe, too, for this yes. Thread Plus Zigbee, I believe it is. Yes, that was really complicated. Well, the, the two are pretty similar at, at, at an underlying level to begin with, so this makes them a little more compatible, even though they're not the same, if that makes sense. It does. But you're still, as a consumer... And that's really what we care about. Here. Mm-hmm. You're still going to have to look for them to be compatible together. Uh, yeah. But, oh, here's the great news, though. If you buy a Zigbee 3.0 product, you will no longer have to worry about, oh, my God, is it Zigbee LightLink certified? Or is mm-hmm. it Zigbee HA? You could just be like, oh, look, this is Zigbee 3.0 compatible. Yay. And this is Zigbee 3.0 compatible. They'll work together. So going forward, you should look, just look for Zigbee 3.0. Now. It's supposed to be backwards compatible with Zigbee HA, Zigbee Light Link, Zigbee all those things. But we all know how that's kind of a risky game to play. It is supposed to be, but it may not be. So that's kind of good news, bad news. Okay, so how was that? Better? Happy? We, we feeling okay? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. All good. Next radio news, and then we're through it. Bluetooth gets better! I was really kind of excited about this because I've tried, like, I love Bluetooth. It's easy to install. There's a lot of cool Bluetooth stuff coming out in the lighting section, a lot of light switches and light bulbs that are Bluetooth compatible. So you don't have to do any wiring. You just like screw in a Bluetooth light bulb and then you like literally can stick a switch plate to your wall that controls it, right? Mm -hmm. It's awesome. But the downside is because the Bluetooth mesh is not like super great and it works with your phone sometimes. It can be flaky. It doesn't. This company called Cassia introduced a Bluetooth hub that controls 22 Bluetooth devices. I thought that was kind of neat. And it extends the range by 100 feet, which I liked. Yeah. Well, they're saying uh, Bluetooth range of up to 1,000 feet in the open air or through as many as three walls. Um, And that's good. I I know that sometimes when I'm walking around my house and I'm streaming music or doing something, I walk into two rooms away and that's it. I'm gone. You know, and then it disconnected. You had to reconnect, and so on. So, this would solve that problem, but um, but other problems as well, because they have other Bluetooth accessories, like smart home accessories. They do, and yeah. this hub is only a hundred dollars, and it supports Bluetooth Low Energy and Classic Bluetooth. Hmm. So, I kind of like if you're going to invest in a lot of Bluetooth accessories, mm-hmm. this is like kind of a hundred dollar range extender, essentially. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I kind of wish it supported more devices because I kind of feel like you're going to, especially if you're going to install a bunch of light switches. Mm -hmm. But I still kind of think this is pretty cool. It is. And and 22 sounds like a lot, you know, and for Bluetooth it is. But then again, you know, look at all the lights that we have in our houses these days, you and I and switches and so on. So I don't know if I would build a whole system out of this. You know, you go through that 22 real fast. Yeah. The fact that my Hue Hub only supports 50 devices is actually kind of an issue for me. Mm-hmm. But the fact that Hue bulbs cost 60 bucks means that it's actually not an issue. Less of, less of an issue. Less of an issue. So I thought this was cool. That concludes our radio segment, I believe. And moving right along to services. Services. Integrations. Honestly, if I'm calling a story for CES this year, it is that the Internet of Things is moved from things to services, which mm-hmm. it is about time, people. Yep, because that's what makes everything talk to each other. It is. Um, it's, we're still not really there yet, but let's hit it. You want to talk about Whirlpool? Yeah, um, and they're not the only one, but Whirlpool is highlighting some of their new smart appliances with, guess what, integrated Amazon Dash buttons. I'm almost surprised to see this. When the Dash came out, the little $5 dongle that you press a button and it orders whatever laundry detergent or whatever the button is for through Amazon, I was like, yeah, I don't need to do this, you know, and it seems kind of silly to me. But, you know, now that it's integrated into products, it just kind of makes sense. I'm starting to wonder, will how many products will actually have these kind of reorder buttons? Well, and this is the Amazon or Dash fulfillment services. Right. So it's not even, I mean, calling it an integrated Dash button is kind of silly because it's really just an integrated like order from Amazon button. Yeah. yeah. So, whoop-bam, which is awesome. So I love it. We've got, of course, a bunch of companies integrating with Nest. Um, my favorite mm-hmm. is Chamberlain doing some Nest integrations with the Nest Dropcam stuff and a lot of stuff there. Mm-hmm. I also thought Lowe's doing a monitored security service through its Iris Home Hub was worth mentioning because, yeah. again, services, money, and they're still planning to do another service through helping to plumb, like hook you up with plumbers and that sort of thing. I also believe Samsung... Smart Things is also going to continue along that plan. Mm-hmm. We'll hear more from them. And then big service announcement, I think, from a big enterprise player, Ginny Rometty is giving Ginny Rometty, the CEO of IBM, is giving a keynote at CES, which you're like, what? Enterprise? Crazy. But Watson, IBM's cognitive computer that, you know, anticipates your everything. It doesn't just play Jeopardy. Doesn't just play Jeopardy. Is crazy. And like hooking up with all these consumer tech players such as Medtronic to help anticipate diabetes and track and predict with wearable medical sensors. There is a partnership with Whirlpool to help like anticipate needs in the smart home partnership with SoftBank Robotics, which is the creator of Pepper and a partnership with Under Armour. So Kevin, you want to talk a little bit more about the Under Armour and maybe Pepper? Yeah, well, Pepper, real quick, for those who don't know it, it's a little robot from Aldebaran that's been around for a while. They also make the NAO, and I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's NAO. It's like a $20,000 little robot um, that's really cool, walks around and so on. So IBM is going to tie into Pepper. What they're going to do is provide a little more smarts to the robot, which I don't see that you can buy just yet. Um, I'm not sure if you can or not. It's based in Japan through SoftBank, so it may be a Japanese thing only, but I want a pepper. But also IBM is working with Under Armour, and that sounds kind of strange. You're like, wait, those are the people who make like all the clothes that the athletes wear uh, that I can go buy at the store. But 
uh, and I have these products. Uh, Under Armour just announced at CES. They launched their UA Health Box. I have a Health Box, and it is a $400 kit that has a brand new Under Armour scale with uh, Wi-Fi built in. Uh, it measures your body fat as well as your weight. We'll work with up to eight people. You just step on it. It knows who you are based on your weight and your body fat. It sends that data up into the cloud. I thought it worked with eight people on the scale. And I'm like, ooh. Yeah, I'm stuck. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not that big. It's a regular, very well-designed glass scale. Very nice. There's also in the box an Under Armour band, which I've been wearing for a couple of weeks. Measures your steps, sleep, your activity or fitness. And it has a heart rate monitor, optical heart rate monitor. I'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, they also include a UA chest strap, heart rate chest strap, for those who would rather wear a chest strap. That's all in the box. Not in the box, optional for $150. I also have these, are the Under Armour Gemini 2 Speedform sneakers with, they look like regular running shoes, but inside is a battery and sensors. You wouldn't know it, which I love it because it's invisible. You don't turn them on or anything, they just work. They measure your steps, your stride, your cadence, your pace and so on. And it all feeds into the Under Armour record app for iOS or Android. And it's well designed, um, shows the four quadrants of activity, fitness, nutrition, and sleep. I'm getting tons of data. But back to IBM, I'm getting insights from Watson, which is using all of the big data that IBM has on health. And it's telling me how my maybe my fitness compares to people in my age group, uh, men in my age group, for example. It actually goes that specific. It talks about health bits. It just provides insights. It's not doing too much just yet, but then again, they just launched this. But I did notice for the past couple days before the announcement, I was getting Watson insights in my Under Armour record app based on my data and how it compares to the big data that Watson has. Awesome. And you know, on Thursday morning, when this goes live, I'll be having breakfast with Watson. So hmm. I, will, uh, I will let you know. If Ask Watson for the Powerball numbers. The Powerball numbers. Tell me, oh, Watson. <laughs> it will be a Watson planned breakfast, which means it will be a Watson inspired recipe. Hmm. So, you know, as you guys know, Watson not only anticipates Kevin's every need as he exercises, Watson also plans delicious recipes. I have eaten his recipes before. So we shall see. All right. So that is kind of the services thing. There's tons of stuff also happening on the connected car front. We'll probably talk about that next show. And the partnership with Whirlpool, Watson will actually be gathering data from Whirlpool's new line of connected washers, fridges, and other things, which is why your Wi-Fi should be better in your basement in case you keep your mm-hmm. Whirlpool washer and dryer down there. So it's a little scary, actually. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to lie to you. Final thing, and we don't actually have a guest for this show, so don't worry. You're going to just spend the whole time with Kevin and I, is cameras. Because there were a lot of really good cameras, and you know how, actually, we know how you love cameras. Because I'm not too sold on them, except when they're outside. Or, in this case, in my fridge. This is neat. So, Smarter is a company that was actually here last year at CES, and they had a Smarter coffee pot and hot water kettle that we talked about. This is a UK company. And... This year, they were showing off a connected fridge cam. It was $199. It's going to come out in late summer. And I don't know if you guys recall this, but I am super psyched about the idea of a connected fridge cam because I think it's a way more practical way of cataloging what's in your fridge for kind of grocery shopping purposes than actually getting like RFID packaging. Yep. Because 
that might happen, but it's going to take a while. And I need to know if I have milk today. So this camera, basically every time you open your fridge door and close it, it snaps a picture and it sends it to you on your phone and that's it. And then you can be like, Hey, I am running low on milk. They also have a line of connected mats for your pantry. Basically it's mats with a weight sensor in it. And you tell it what's on that mat. And when it gets low, it's like, Hey, whatever's in this thing is running low. And you're Mm -hmm. like, thanks man. So I'm loving that, that concept. I'm loving the fridge cam. The price is a little steep for me, but you know, yeah, I mean, I'd rather just keep a grocery list instead of pay $200, but I love the concept of I'm out and about at the store, the grocery store. Geez, how much milk do we really have? I forget. You pop open the app, you look at your camera and your fridge, now you know. Yeah, I'd have to cut the tops of my egg cartons off because mm-hmm. I did get rid of my quirky egg binder and um, now I wouldn't know. So I like that, but... I like this kind of, like, Kevin, you had a great idea. Because we also mm. saw these tiny little cameras. I've written about them, actually, in my previous life at GigaOM. They're called Blink. They did a Kickstarter last August, not this most recent August, but August 2014. These are, it's actually a, a chip company started this. They they had a video processing chip that was really good um, and really low power, And they realized that they couldn't make it as a video processing chip company. Like the margins were just too thin. They could sell these chips for like 10 cents, you know, or actually $2 Mm -hmm. or 10 cent, you know, margins, low margins to DVD makers, DVD player makers or Blu-ray player makers. And they were like, well, this is terrible. Nobody wants this. Or they could make a connected camera. So Mm -hmm. they decided to make a connected camera. They got out of the chip business and went into the consumer products business and they like it. So these cameras are $79 for one tiny little, it's probably two and a half by two and a half inches, maybe three by three inches. Mm-hmm. And they're wireless. And cordless. And cordless. Yeah, they run on a battery and it should last quite a while. You can, if you buy these in bulk, they're even less than the $79 each because you can get two for $139, three for $189, and five for $289. I like this because of the portability, it's still uses Wi-Fi, so it's not like using some funky radio protocol. You actually plug in into an outlet, the little hub that comes with it, so it's not hanging off a router. You can't use them outside. They're not waterproof, but that's okay. But you could use one in your fridge. Yeah, they're mo- they, motion sets them off. So they turn, they're turn. they not recording all the time. When they see mm-hmm. motion, they record. That's a power conservation method, obviously. So when you open your fridge door, they're going to start recording. And you close it, they'll stop. So you've got the recording of what's in your fridge, right? Yeah. What about your fridge being a giant Faraday cage? I talked to the engineer yeah. <laughs> behind the smarter thing. He's like, you know what? We thought that too. But there's a lot of like rubber gaskets and stuff that actually allow the Wi-Fi signal to get out. So I was like, okay, great. And then I was like, what about, you know, the cold of the fridge sucking the battery? You know, and he's like, we also were concerned about that, but you know, battery life actually, it's actually really good for the batteries up until you get to about zero degrees Celsius. And then the battery life really plummets. Mm. So maybe you could use it for 79 bucks. Why not try? Even if I don't use it in my fridge, I'm, I'm tempted because these look simple to use. They're inexpensive. You can move them around easily. Yeah, I like it. They're getting through their Kickstarter orders. Mm-hmm. And then they said by mid-January, they'll be shipping from stock. So you don't even have to wait long. So there you go. Blinkforhome.com is where you can order them from. Two more cameras that are worth mentioning. The Ring doorbell launched the stick-up camera, 
which Kevin, these are the last two are outdoor cameras since mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with outdoor cameras right now. The ring doorbell camera is the stick up camera. It is $199. It's going to be shipping in two to three weeks. You were looking actually for a smaller outdoor camera. This is bracket mounted. Yeah. Bracket mounted might work for mine. Yep. And what's neat about this is a, it works with the ring doorbell, but two, it's got two way audio. Um, so you can talk to someone. If you see them running around on your property, you could be like, Hey, get you, off my lawn. get off my lawn, quite literally, which, you know, cool. Mm-hmm. Maybe. And then the other camera is the NetAtmo Presence outdoor camera. And I like this for a couple reasons. One, this is a wired camera. So the Ring doorbell camera is actually not, it's wireless. It's battery powered. Battery powered, right. But the NetAtmo is wired. But what happens is you, you wire it into an existing outdoor security light or an existing outdoor light. And it's got a big LED light that turns on that actually gives the camera enough light to film by. Mm-hmm. And it's skinny. It's not going to be out till Q3. I don't have pricing for it. But I've been wanting a camera to stick up on my rooftop. And this kind of seems like it might be the camera, um, depending on the price point. And the other thing is, this is the camera in all of NetAtmos camera. They have a welcome indoor camera. Are the cameras for you if you value your privacy and you don't want to send anything to the cloud? Mm. Because NetAtmo keeps all your stuff on an SD card on the camera itself, or you can send it to your own media server on your own property. That's nice, and I wish more people would, more products would do that. So that is what's, you can send it, is it your own FTP server? And then you can send it to your smartphone. Like if you want mm-hmm. a little so, more complicated, but that's okay. I mean, for people who want total control of it. Yes. If you want total control, you can do that with this product and they give you the instructions. They have no plans to ever offer the cloud stuff. That is not their MO. They're French. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea if being French is why they do that, but I've, I've talked to them a couple times about this and they're like, yeah, our audience really values the fact that we don't put it in the cloud. That's not our plans. Mm-hmm. So that is a, a lot, lot of stuff. <laughs> yes, it is. And that's like tip of the iceberg for you who's going to be running around Vegas all week at CES. Exactly. So I'll be running around Vegas. And in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. And please join us again next week. Mm-hmm.